This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What's up, everybody? Today we have Forrest from the Carolina Toffees joining us once again. Forrest, thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on again. So today we are going to start off having a pretty good in-depth discussion about Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and then we are going to move on to community questions submitted on Twitter. So let's start things off. Dominic Calvert-Lewin actually scored for the England twenty one or U21s today against Poland. Yeah, uh, I got a chance to watch it back. It was a pretty easy finish for him. Uh, some good work. I'm, I'm not sure who the player was who created the goal for him, but they... And did some good work, got the keeper out, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a simple tap-in for him, but it's always good to see him score and continue to get his confidence up in front of goal. Yeah, more goals the better as far as I'm concerned. It's encouraging to see him continue with a really positive return, you know, within his age level, where you would expect him to be performing at, you know, a relatively high level compared to the expectations when you're playing against grown men in the Premier League. Um, you get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt, I think. So it just shows that like, as he continues to grow and mature, he'll continue to improve. Yeah, I think that that confidence has really shown on the pitch for him at Everton in the last couple of matches. Obviously, I think it's a general consensus that he was really, really good against Chelsea. Yeah, he, he he's really, really kind of just like the pinnacle of Calvert-Lewin. And he's done really well. Over the last couple of seasons, I remember last season against Manchester City in the, I believe it was a 1-1 draw, he did had a really good performance. You know that the work rate's there, and he has the aerial ability and strength to hold the ball up when he can get involved in that way. So, And, and that was in full display against Chelsea. I believe he won like seven aerials, doing some really nice things, bringing the ball down and facilitating it out to wingers or getting it back to the midfield. All, all good stuff. Definitely, yeah. I think you see saw quite a few people say that he taught Higuain and Giroud how to play as a striker, and I wouldn't maybe go that far because they're both pretty accomplished strikers, but I think he definitely played very well uh, just for the role that he's kind of being asked to play right now, which isn't so much a creator as it is just holding the ball up and, and letting everybody else come back from maybe sitting back a little bit and bringing them into play. Yeah, I mean, he had three shots, which is not groundbreaking by any means, but for me, it's positive to see because specifically in that match, you saw him receive the ball, take one touch to get it out from under his leg, out, out from under his feet and kind of turn a little bit. And he took a shot from outside the box with his left foot. Keep in mind, he's right footed. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because, you know, what we've seen from really a lot of the players, except for barring Richarlison and Sigurdsson, I think now Gomez, you could throw him into the conversation, is they look like they don't want the ball, right? Bernard is kind of one that that is that is very much guilty of this, but he's just more of a creative type of player. But you saw Calvert-Lewin earlier in the season, and a lot last season really also, he just was too afraid to take a shot. And sometimes really what you need to do is receive the ball and you just need to go for it because as a professional, you'd be surprised as to what ends up going in. Yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's still a very young player. And I think people tend to forget that we just bought him from Sheffield United a year and a half, maybe two years now. Or what has it been only a year? I think, I think it's been two been, years. I think it's two, two years. years. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. Two years. Yep. Kuman's first season. Yeah. 
Um, and I mean, he's come in and he's come on leaps and bounds. He was playing for the U23s when we first signed him. He would get the odd game. Once we sold Lukaku, he became kind of who he went to right away um, before we tried to, you know, just kind of fill that gap a bit. But he's not he's not that sort of makeshift striker anymore. He is very much making that role his own. He's definitely coming to his and coming into his own. And you can see how much confidence he's really starting to find within himself and in his game, just by the way that he plays, the way that he carries himself on the field. His touches have gotten a lot better. His overall distribution and play has gotten a lot better. And I think the one thing he really needs to add to his game is, you know, being prolific, is being a lethal finisher in front of goal. Because once he had that open header against Chelsea, they really should have at least gotten on target, if not scored. And I mean, he, he tends to have a good chance every game. If he can take every good chance every game and become a sort of a one and two striker, that I mean, that's what we need. That's what any Premier League team would need is is a striker who is going to go out there and guarantee them a goal. Absolutely, Forrest. I agree with you 100%. It is, there are very few players who are that level of prolific at such a young age. You look at like a Romelu Lukaku when he was playing at West Brom and then of course came to us. Um, a player who would just fi- seem to consistently find the net. And Calvert-Lewin isn't on that level. As I don't think he'll ever really be on the same level as Romelu Lukaku. But just the amount of playing time that he's got this season, finally getting some consistency, it seemed like we would go to him as like a last resort or a change of pace maybe last season a little bit. He got a little bit of time. But now this year, he has a little over 1,200 minutes played. He's got six goals. Um, some, and that is with very, very little service. People complain about how we don't have a true striker and, you know, the goals are, are hard to find in this team, which is a totally fair criticism, but we also don't exactly create many chances for whoever we have up top. We get a lot of crosses into the box, but it doesn't seem to really ever find too many players. And now that, you know, with the limited service he's had, I think the return that we've seen is very, very encouraging. Um, I, I believe I saw a statistic. I can't remember where it was, but th- that he receives roughly about 10 passes per game as a striker, which is just simply not good enough if you want a player to consistently score. Right. And that I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that we rely on just shifting the ball out wide and swinging crosses in, which is why we were so poor with Richarlison up top, because Richarlison is not going to be winning aerial battles against, you know, a center back, let alone when they played three, for example, and we saw those matchups. But let's dive into this a little bit more st- into statistics, right? So as you said, six goals in the Premier League this season. So in terms of minutes, he's got less than 14 full matches played, right? He's made 29 appearances, but in, to- in terms of a full match, less than 14. So In other words, that translates to 0.43 goals per match, okay? Now, if you're wondering, that is in the top three of the squad. Before the Chelsea match, he was tied. He was joint first with Richarlison, 0.46, okay? Sigurdsson was slightly lower. Point is, in terms of the amount of minutes he's getting and then the amount of goals he's scoring is at uh, essentially equal to our top two scorers, Richarlison and Sigurdsson. And to me, that's super impressive. And keep in mind, that's that's as a 22-year-old. A 22-year-old with very limited, uh, you know, top-tier experience. Yeah, he, I mean, he didn't have a, a senior cap for England. 
And I believe there was an article in the Echo where they um, were talking to Leon Osman saying what he would need to add to his game to get to that level. And it was, it was about finishing. It was about, you know, becoming that prolific striker. And, and I mean, that's what you want. That's, he would have to kind of get to that level of Harry Kane to really push him where, I mean, he is scoring game in game out and he can get there, but he's, he's just, he just needs to add those goals. I mean, six and like you said, in, in roughly 14 matches is not an awful return. It really isn't. You, you would look at that and be like, Oh, well he's scoring just about one and two. And that's really what you want from a striker. And I believe uh, Marcel Brands, there was an interview, I don't remember if it's been two, three weeks now, where he came out and said, we're not going to add a big name striker in the summer, which leads me to believe that DCL is going to be fighting for that starting place with somebody else, whoever we decide to add, because I'm assuming we're going to sell Tosin as well, and probably Nias if we can get rid of him. Yeah, I think we're certainly going to be. I think Cheng Tosin's days are numbered in a blue blue shirt. Uh, he did have some comments, I believe, saying, you know, kind of, not directly saying he wants to leave because I don't think he's that type of professional. I think he would stay and fight for the shirt as long as he's getting paid and all that stuff. But it just, there's, I don't really see a future for him in this side in any way. I think we're going to be looking for reinforcements at the striker position among other areas this summer. And I think Calvert Lewin is a player that is at the forefront of our plans going forward. But I don't know if, he, if Marcel Brands and Marco Silva see him as the long-term answer in that role, I think he can probably be a very, very strong second option, give us some diversity, but I do think we still need an established player who does have, you know, a record, a goal scoring, a consistent goal scoring record that we can fall back on and um, that can, that can fit into the team more fluidly, but those players don't grow on trees. And if that type of player is available, every top side in Europe is going to be clamoring to sign them That's because everyone needs goals and everyone needs more strikers. So it's not going to be easy. And I, I think as he continues to mature and grow, he will become, you know, on paper, he's a physical specimen, got the everything that you would want, but it's just that intangible ability to be in the right place at the right time that honestly, Richarlison has done a fantastic job of this year. Just knowing none of his goals have been, you know, world beaters, screamers from 30 yards out, but just right place, right time and tapping at home. And I think Calvert-Lewin needs to, you know, take take a page out of Richarlison's book and start to incorporate some of those elements into his game as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I, I would maybe counter that by saying I do think he gets himself in very good positions. I think his issue is just getting that ball into the back of the net. It's just it's just finding that finish because there's been a, quite a few instances. I mean, I quoted the one against Chelsea. um, I'm trying to think of another one now, but there's just been instances this season where he's had chances where he's had an area and it's, it's especially come with his head where he's had a chance to get his head onto a ball and at least get it on target. And he hasn't been able to. And again, he's young. He'll develop that if he really wants to. And he's got one of the best in the business and, you know, one of the best in the business in Duncan Ferguson teaching him too, as well. So it's, it's there for him for the taking. Well, let's look at it from this approach, right? Because to be very blatant, blatant right i think that it is possible we could go into next season with the possibility of dominic calvert lewin starting now i do very much believe that we should be signing someone maybe someone that's been prolific but maybe not in one of the top three leagues right like maybe someone in i don't know uh france or whatever else uh maybe someone at boca i don't know but someone that can 100% push him but but let's let's revisit the fact that 
this is the first season in over 15 years. I don't remember exactly, but we, we figured it out. This is the first season in over 15 seasons that we've had two players scoring in double digits, right? And it's no surprise that when you look at the top teams in the table, look at Pep's Man City, for example, even Liverpool, I hate to bring it up, they have all three of their front players scoring double digits for the most part, right? And so, you know, let's say Dominic Calvert-Lewin can, can continue with a 0.4 goals per match ratio. So if he were to start an entire season, he's scoring 15 goals. So if we assume that Richarlison can, can continue, which I don't see why you can't, Sigurdsson will continue pretty good form. And then we actually have any other winger that can score a decent amount of goals, five goals in one season, because between Bernard, Lookman, and Walcott, we have three league goals, I believe, all coming from Walcott. That's yeah, that, yeah, that's really yeah. Bad. I mean, I've been. That's what I'm saying, right? I think I commented that on Reddit when I realized it. But that's so. So think about that, right? Do you think that if let's say Calvert Lewin can score double digits next season, and we may sign, in my opinion, a right-sided midfielder? Do you think that that's possible to finish in the t- in the top six, to finish sixth place? Yeah, Forrest. I mean, yeah, I think just having two guys in double digits shows that we've got some goals spread out in the squad. And I think that's been an issue of the team ever since. You know, I mean, even when we had Lukaku, is that he was the one scoring the goals and there wasn't really anybody else doing it. Barkley wasn't really chipping it as much as he really should have been. Um, I mean, Morales is non-existent. Balassi is not scoring goals. Um, and now you've got Richarlison. You've got Sigurdsson. Walcott, I think, is definitely declining very rapidly. Um, Bernard needs to add those goals to his game. He's you know joint top of the assists for the club right now, but he needs to add goals if he really wants to become a true threat. And then Lookman, I mean... I don't, I don't know. There, there's a lot of issue with Lookman. He just needs to define himself a bit. And from what I, your Marco Silva was saying, I believe he was saying that he'd look like a world beater and a starter in one session one day, and then the next day he would look like he belonged to a League Two club. So if there's that inconsistency in his game, he's got to find it within himself to correct that. But yeah, I mean, spreading goals out across the team is very important, and especially across your front line. You, you want to have you know, two or three 10 plus goal scorers, because that really gives you multiple threats and, and multiple reasons for a team to worry about your attack. That way you can really have an all around attack that that's going to cause any team frustrations. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said, Forrest. As far as Alex's question, can, you know, if we were to have that hypothetical, beautifully sounding scenario play out where we do have that diversity in scoring across the front line and then the midfielders chip in a few as well. Can we crack the top six? It's the eternal question. It is without without a doubt the goal of this reign, this new administration of the club looking to elevate the club to playing in Europe and or, or compete at least competing for the European places. I look at the table right now and there's a 13 point gap between sixth and seventh. And so it really just highlights like how far we have to go. And every single year in the last probably three or four years, I've gone into it ever since that, that first Roberto Martinez year where we did finally, you know, qualify for Europe. The hope has been that we can continue to kick on and do it again. 
And that really hasn't quite materialized for us. And so I think, you know, this season we're still competing for seventh and we'll get into some of that stuff in a little bit. It's a huge gap. And I think sometimes as fans, we have to be pragmatic and recognize that it's not going to happen overnight. Can we do it? Absolutely. Will we do it? It depends heavily on the business that we do. I think we're all on board saying Marco Silva will be at the helm at the start of next campaign. Is he the guy to do it? We also will discuss that in a little bit, so I'm kind of teasing it, but it's a big ask. And with Calvert-Lewin leading the line, is Calvert-Lewin really a top six quality striker? I do not believe he is at the moment. Maybe in a few, two or three years, he can become that. You know what, James? Nobody invites you on here or wants to record with you for you to be the voice of reason, okay? (laughs) Okay, so I'll just stick to the blind faith and... uh, rampant like overestimation (laughs) the problem is that when i when i try to do that i get let down consistently and then i you know feel really really depressed and so i like to just set the expectations low and then you're not disappointed so no problem with that i have a question for each of you do you think a striker should be on the top of the list the first player signed in the summer if you can only sign one player in the summer should it be a striker if not, what position should it be? Um, I'd say no. I'd say it would be more important for us to sign Gomez um, permanently. I think what he adds to our team is, is is a little bit more important than adding a striker. I think if, if you if we only had the choice of one player, I think we'd have to go for a central midfielder because that's really where we are our weakest in terms of a creative outlet, in terms of, of driving the ball forward from deep in midfield. Um Gonagay can't really do it. He can win it back, but it's not his job to drive it forward. And I think if you saw Gomez leave the team and and have somebody like Davies or Schneiderlin replace him full time, it would only serve to uh, make us go backwards. I'm going with, yes, it is the most important position. It has been the most important position since Lukaku left. We can't go into the season next year with Calvert-Lewin as our number one, Cenk Tosin backup, and then maybe Nias still lingering around. Uh, from the Roberto Martinez days. It's just not good enough. We need someone to come in to either immediately replace Calvert-Lewin and become the starter and Calvert-Lewin the backup, or at least someone to compete for that starting job with him because we have no depth really in that position. I mean, you can make an argument for Richarlison, but given the experiment, the way that experiment's gone this year, I think I'd prefer to see him primarily play on the wings. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So... Let's move on to community questions then. Our first question from Jordan Janis on Twitter. Do we think Everton will do a U.S. tour this summer? And do you have a potential location? The answer for me is I really, really hope so. And as, as far as the, uh, the rumored location goes, there was a vague rumor floating around several months ago that there was a trip to Washington, D.C. to play a friendly against D.C. United. There has been radio silence from the club in any official capacity on that front. But as far as links to the U.S. goes, that is the most obvious marketing, you know, the the way in because of the Wayne Rooney connection. And it's a big soccer market, Virginia, uh, the DMV area. And so I think that that's probably most likely. And if they do come, then I will be there. Without question, I'll drop everything in my schedule, do whatever I have to do. Dude, we're setting up an American Toffee podcast table out there. I don't care. 
We don't need permission. Yeah, perfect. Well, I actually want to comment on what uh, James just said there, and I can actually add a little bit more substance to that. That is more, a lot more than a rumor. Um, that is something that's probably going to happen. Uh, Breaking news. Breaking news. We have in the nose. <laughs> ITKs right here. American Toffee Podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little, maybe a little ITK, not full on, but that's, that's a lot, got a lot more substance and a lot more to it than uh, just it being a rumor. I think that's something that will end up happening. So we will have a friendly with DC United. Um, and that is all kind of part of the Wayne Rooney deal. So I would expect that to get announced probably maybe early June, late May. And I, I would assume it would happen in the middle of July. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty positive that's going to be a friendly on the docket, and I would expect everybody in the East Coast who's a blue to get down to DC and see. Well, it. if we're going to be honest, if it happens in mid July, uh, it's more important than my girlfriend's birthday. So sorry. <laughs> Priorities. Thank <laughs> you, Alex. I like it. All right, guys. I like where so your let's, head's let's at. move on. The Toffee Blues hit us up. You can sign one American player for Everton. Who? And he naturally ruled out Christian Pulisic. Forrest. Uh. I like Josh Sargent a lot, uh, the striker for Warden Bremen. I think he's a very good young player. Uh, he's got good feet. Um, I remember watching him in a friendly. I don't remember who it was against, but he just he had some very good touches. He seemed like the only one on the pitch who really was trying to make things happen for the U.S. Um, and I like him a lot. He, he think he's only 20, 19 through 21 in that age range. I don't think he's played too much for the first team for Warden Bremen so far, but he is a very good young prospect. And... I mean, we need a striker, so hey, there you go. For me, A, even though it says besides Pulisic, I thought he would have been an, a perfect, perfect signing for us. We need a right winger. He fits right in. He's American. We get that marketing line, yada, yada, yada. Besides him, it's hard for me. We have Andy Robinson, of course, currently uh, out on loan. Besides that, I have a hard time seeing anyone currently in the U.S. setup that would be ready to make the jump to the Premier League. It seems like the Bundesliga is the hot place right now for young American prospects to develop and young players in general. Look at Jaden Sancho from Man City now at Dortmund exploding onto the scene. That seems to be where young players go to really kind of step their game up and maybe develop for a few years and and make that jump. Uh, I think Weston McKennie is a player who probably is looking like he may be one of the next mainstays in the national side. And I would, I would just love to get another or one or two more American players in the Everton team for promotion of the club. And just, it, it gives you that nice, like warm, fuzzy feeling inside watching someone from the U S play for your favorite club. Yeah. McKenney's a good shout. I'm actually super surprised you chose Josh Sargent, but that's cool with me. I'm going to go with maybe something out of left field and I'm going to say Tim Weah. He plays for PSG. He is out on loan to Celtic. He's pretty pacey. He can play on right wing, which is something we need, but he also, I think, favors playing as a striker. And so, you know, we know Marcel Brands. If we're going to make this realistic, we know Marcel Brands likes players that, specifically in attack, can, can be fluid in their in their positions. So I'm going to shout Tim Weah, and maybe he'll become a Ballon d'Or winner one day for Everton. Yeah, it's a good shout. It's a good shout. Just any Americans, Marcel, look at them, sign them up if you think that they're good enough. I'll defer to Marcel Brand's expertise. But uh, moving on to the next question, we got this from at Ernie Schneider or Schneider Ernie. Legitimacy of Mason Holgate coming back after his loan 
and not only making the first team, but starting for Everton. Alex, go ahead. Well, I think that that's kind of tough. And I say that because I personally don't see us signing Kurt Zuma permanently. I just don't see it happening with Chelsea's transfer ban. Uh, the fact that they're really unhappy with a lot of their defensive showings this season, them being fans, I'm going to assume sorry as well. And so you're left with Michael Keane and Yerry Mina, which Yerry Mina is still technically unproven, although his favorite opponent seems to be Chelsea, which I'm cool with that. But Jagielka's out of contract at the end of the season, and obviously there hasn't been any talk or whisper of of an extension. I think that Mason Holgate will 100% come back and be part of the first team. He started quite a few matches last season and looked really good. He looked even better this season. Uh, in terms of will he be a nailed-on starter, I don't know. It's kind of hard to answer because at this rate, with how many matches you play and and Yerry Mina's track record with injury so far, Michael Keane almost needing to get his foot chopped off last season, it's really hard to see, you know, two center backs go the entire season playing three quarters of the match together or three quarters of the season together. Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, he played, so he started a couple games at the beginning of the season and he played fairly well. Um, and then he had that stinker against West Ham um, and he kind of got dropped and just never made it back into the first team. I think And we signed two center backs this window. We had Keen, you know, as, as our starter as well. So I think it was always going to be, a challenge for him to break into the first team fully this season. Um, I think he's done very well at West Brom, especially as a right back. And that might be a position he comes back in place for us. If we're not able to secure a deal for a good enough one in the summer, if that's, if that's a position we're even looking at truly. Um, But I mean, as a center back, unless we don't sign one in the summer and we, you know, are forced to use him, I, I don't know if he really is going to, Play. I mean, I'd like I'd like him too because I think he's got all the attributes to play there as well as at the right on the right. Um, but I don't know. I, I it just depends on what we do in the summer. Honestly, in my opinion. Yeah, for me, just really quickly, I, I see him filling in as a rotational center back, probably like a Yuri Mina this season, where we have probably two nailed on, ideally nailed on starters, and then as needed, we have some, a rotational player. And I see Mason Holgate probably filling into that role quite nicely. Um, next question comes from Josh O'Grady, and we're gonna amend his question a little bit just for the sake of time, but we did just touch on a little bit of it. Will Everton sign Andre Gomez and Kurt Zuma? And can Everton secure seventh place with the remaining games that have to be played? So Andre Gomez and Kurt Zuma, I want you guys to rate the likelihood we sign them on one to 10 from a one to 10 scale. And then as of course the seventh place question. Uh, I'd say Gomez is probably a, a, a eight out of 10, maybe 7.5 out of 10. I think he wants to come back here. Deep down, I think he's enjoying playing here. The fans have taken to him, so there's not. And obviously, he has a Portuguese-speaking manager as well. Um, Kurt Zuma, I have two out of ten. I don't think Chelsea are going to let him go. I think he's good enough quality to play for them. Um, and as far as seventh place, I mean, we can, um, but we're going to have to get. We're not going to, but we're going to have to win out basically, or at least not lose again for the rest of the season. And that that's really the only way we can at least challenge for it. I'm actually going to agree with essentially everything you said. I don't have anything extra to add. And, you know, if I'm going to rate the Everton securing seventh place with the remaining games, I'll give it a three out of 10. And I was really inclined to say two out of 10, but I'm trying not to be that much of a jerk. Too pessimistic. 
Yeah, I agree with what you guys said. I, seventh place, I've kind of just given up hope. And again, set your expectations as low as they can go, and then you will not be disappointed. Or even sometimes Everton might find a way to still disappoint you, which has been the case at times this year. Uh, moving on to the next question from our loyal listener, Matt Bainbridge. And this is the question, I guess, that is at the forefront of many of our minds. Is Marco Silva the man to bring us into the top six in future seasons? Yes, yes he is. He's showing his flexibility. He shows that he's a really good man manager, which is important. He works well with Marcel Brands. And the whole point of having a director of football is making sure that they have a have a system in place in which if it comes down to it, they can they can essentially have more of an influence on the club than maybe a manager could. So in short form, yes, he is. I have full confidence in him. I think next season is going to be a really good season. I think it a lot of it depends on what we do in the summer. If we have another great summer and bring in all these players that fit his system well, I think that will give us a very good launching off point to, to start to challenge for the top six. But that's where we need to get to first. We're not even challenged for, challenging for it at the moment. We're, you know, what, 13, 14 points behind Chelsea. So we really need to be within reaching distance of the top six to say we're going to be leading, getting led into it. But I think his style of play is good. I think it fits the way the club has played traditionally. I think the fans like him a lot more than a lot of them let on. I think he's very confident. I think he says the right things. And if it's going to be anybody, I think it could be him. Yes. I agree with both of you. I think I think the jury's still out, but he deserves more time and he deserves at least one or two more transfer windows to see what he can, if he can shape the squad in the way that he wants, because although he did bring in six players, it's still very much, you know, the ghosts of managers past still have their, still loom and haunt this squad in a major way. And so once we can finally, finally get rid of some of these outrageous wages that we're paying players that are never going to play for us again. We can really start to see how Marcel Brands can leverage his recruiting ability. Um, but then on to the next question. This is an interesting one. And this is actually a question that I put on the Everton subreddit, which was then uh, picked up by the Liverpool Echo in an article. Who are you guys hoping to see as the kit manufacturer? Because the deal with Umbro expires, I believe, in May. And so will we be looking to renew that deal? Or would you guys like to see a new manufacturer come in? I wouldn't mind Umbro again. I've liked their kits. Um, we've had Nike recently. I don't think we'll go right back to them. I could see us maybe going off the beaten path and going to like a Puma maybe. Um, but I mean, I'm cool with Stanko and the Umbro. I think I think Umbro have designed Everton kits pretty traditionally back in the day as well. Um, and I like to stick with the traditions of the club. So I would say Umbro is fine with me. I'm going to take this more so from a business perspective. I have a pretty strong opinion on this, right? And especially as an American. So there are two pieces to, well, there's a kit manufacturer, right? Which kind of decides availability in the States specifically, right? Because if I go to a Dick's Sporting Goods or something, they have, at least the one in Virginia Beach, they have a full section of just Premier League gear. But that does not include Everton because our kit manufacturer is Umbro. And to my knowledge, I don't believe they carry any Umbro gear. I could be wrong, but I don't believe they do in general. Right. So you have the manufacturer and then you have the distribution. Now, kit bag, we have the same distributor, but we have signed kind of a, a much larger deal with kit bag. And so they're supposed to be stepping up their services, specifically even in Liverpool, uh, and then and then their distribution. 
So my answer in terms of who I could see, I really have no idea, but who do I want to see? I want to see the biggest brand we can get because that's going to get Everton kits in the hands of people across the world that maybe aren't even soccer fans yet, or maybe aren't even Premier League fans. They might walk into Dick's Sporting Goods, pick up this kit and say, this looks way cooler than the others. I love this color, wear it. And then that's their team, you know, and that's, and that's, that's important. Whether, you know, some Evertonians may agree with that or not, that's really important. Yeah. You may get some comments after the the show about that. Um, but I, I, I think the real answer and others have said this is whoever pays us the most money because it's at the end of the day, it's a commercial decision and you want to see that expansion. But I would, I too would like to see a larger brand, perhaps Nike or Adidas. You do have some trade-offs where you get a club like Everton is not going to command a unique design from a manufacturer like that. And we don't even really get them from Umbro, but they do differentiate uh, in some ways, whereas you, for the most part, get a template with those larger brands. So in my heart of hearts, I think we will stick with Umbro and I'll be okay with that. But I would, it would be nice. I do have one of the old, uh, the Nike kits that I do like quite a bit, but I also have an Umbro one that I, I don't dislike. So it will be an interesting, I, I, I do expect us to see just probably similar to the Fanatics deal where we just expand, probably get a better deal from Umbro and just, you know, strengthen our partnership and expand. Uh, moving on from that, We've got our eyes looking forward to the rest of the year. So we have a question from Keiki. In the remaining matches, are there any youth players you'd like to see promoted and maybe get a couple games? So I was looking through the U23 and U18s, kind of see if there were any that weren't out on loan that uh, might deserve a chance. I, I mean, there's there's one name in particular that sticks out. I don't think he's quite ready for the first team, but I know he's scored a ridiculous amount of goals uh, for the U18s is Ellis Sims. Oh, you're speaking um, my language now. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was a point where he had scored like 19 goals in 11 games, something like that. I mean, he just had a ridiculous record. He scores like four goals, you know, in a game twice this season. He's got a few hat tricks as well. I mean, he, he seems like he's got all the makings of a very good striker, at least in his finishing ability. But it, it's hard to throw a player at that age. I think he's only 16 or 17 into like the Premier League at such a high level and, and expect them to really do much. I mean, you, you, you would hope that he would find himself a bit and not be too intimidated by this, the uh, occasion. But, I mean, he's the only one that really stuck out to me from what we have that are still at the club at the moment. So Ellis Sims actually has 35 goals this season. However, 35. However, I do agree with you that I think he would be... It would be way too premature. Now, I'd like to throw out another name. This probably won't be surprising, but Anthony Gordon, this kid, Mm. he just signed his first professional contract until the end of June 2023. And if you're wondering, yes, he is on FIFA now in my my career mode specifically, (laughs) but uh, his technical ability is uncanny. He kind of my understanding is he plays mostly in that attacking midfield role. And I think over the last two seasons, we've been hoping that Kieran Dowell would be able to cement himself as like a a backup, like a rotational attacking midfielder. But for whatever reason, he's been able to make the bench a couple times before being loaned out. And he just, he can't seem to get there. And so I think, again, do I think any of the kids that are at the club that are not loaned out are, are ready for it? Not necessarily, but I think Anthony Gordon would be a pretty cool shout. 
Yeah, I agree with the sentiment from both of you. It's such a big leap to go from the youth team to the straight to the Premier League. It seems a bit almost unfair to the player. You see players make their debut from the youth team usually in like a dead rubber Europa League game, for example, maybe a, a cup tie against a really low uh, tier side. For me, I think the, the natural progression would be to go from the youth teams out on loan to a League One, League Two, even a championship side. And from there, once you've kind of tried your trade at, at a truly professional level, then you can make the jump up. So for me, I don't think any of our players are really ready. But both of the names that you've mentioned are players to watch for the future. Now, for the last question to wrap things up, this is also from Keiki. This is a good question. So our remaining fixtures are, we've got West Ham, Arsenal, Fulham, Man U, Crystal Palace, Burnley, and Spurs. So of those teams, if you had a magic wand, who would you want us to beat 8-0? Just absolutely thrash them off the park. Uh... As a you know, first I'd like to take the lead year. on this one if you don't mind. I feel very strongly about it. So I'm going to say Arsenal. So last season, I, I believe actually both matches we played against Arsenal last season we lost five to two. At least one of them specifically, but I could have sworn. Either way, Something I know we got killed either. But. Right, I know both losses were atrocious. Okay, I want to beat Arsenal eight nil. They're sitting in fourth place right now. So. <laughs> Beating them 8-0 essentially wipes out any chance of using a goal differential to get themselves or keep themselves in a Champions League place. More importantly, they have Manchester City and Chelsea under them, or sorry, Man U and Chelsea under them. I just like the story of of Ole coming to Man U as an interim manager, absolutely killing it. You know, I think that if you're just a person around the world tuning into the Premier League in the last month or two, you're probably kind of starstruck just by how Manchester United are performing and all the good feelings you have about that team or, or and specifically just the club with the manager and stuff. Please don't kill me for saying that. And so I'd really just, I think it'd be cooler to see Man U kind of oust them and just, I don't care for Arsenal. So I'm going to go the other side of North London and say Spurs. Um, not so much because they beat us 6-2 at Goodison, um, but more because my brother is a Spurs fan. Um, and I just like you know, I just like to get one over him because I don't think we've beaten Spurs in a while. So I've kind of not had much to say to him when it comes to, to soccer and on our uh, head-to-head matchups. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm with Forrest. Uh, I'd like to see us avenge the Spurs loss and just thrash them and show that that game was kind of an outlier. Whether or not that will happen, I mean, I'll take a, I'll take wins in any of our games, whether it's 1-0, 5-0, 2-1, whatever we can do to get those three points on the board every week that we're playing is good with me. And I just hope for, to, for some degree of positivity, something to root for the rest of the year. We've got the Chelsea match out of the way. That was a step in the right direction. Can we take a couple more top six scalps, so to speak, uh, for the rest of the year? and make a real statement of intent and build momentum going into the summer. That's, I think, the question that's at the front of everyone's mind. That is going to do it for us today. Thank you to Forrest for joining us. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. Keep an eye out for early next week. We are going to have the guys from the American West Ham podcast on to preview the, the match next weekend against West Ham. So keep your eyes peeled for that. As always, please please follow our new Facebook page. Interact with us on Twitter. We really like hearing from you guys. 
Let us know what you thought of the episode and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.